Let's take our Bibles tonight and go to Psalm 78. Psalm 78. It has been a joy to walk through uh, this psalm the last few weeks. And now as we reach the end of it, uh, we will again be looking, as we did last week, at God's righteous dealings with Israel. Um, We started out by looking at how that God is ever faithful. He is forever faithful. And the fact that many times we turn away from him in our, in, in our search for our selfish desires, what we think will satisfy, and in our, in our failures, God's, God remains faithful to us. And then we, again, as we began last week, we saw that God in his dealings with Israel, much like we can apply to his dealings with us today, are always personal precise and perfect they will always be that way because that is what God's character is and so as we continue that theme here tonight we are going to as we look at God's righteous dealings look at some key aspects of God's character as as Asaph ends this psalm look with me at verse 55 of Psalm 78 we'll start here verse 55 God's word says He cast out the heathen also before them, and divided them an inheritance by line, and made the tribes of Israel to dwell in their tents. Yet they tempted and provoked the Most High God, and kept not his testimonies. There's that word again. We saw that on Sunday morning in our song service. Verse 57. But turned back and dealt unfaithfully like their fathers. They were turned aside like a deceitful bow, for they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. The righteous dealings of God in this last portion of the book, or the, the, the psalm, Psalm 78, they, they are shown through God's jealousy, God's wrath, and God's pursuing presence in our life. Let's pray. Father, as we look to your word tonight, we depend on you uh, to speak to each one of us where we come with hearts that yearn after your word and your righteousness. We want tonight to be desperate to hear from you. So God, I pray that you would make each one of our hearts like that. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. When reading the last part of, of really... The final verses of Psalm 78, as we'll get to in just a moment, I'm reminded of the hymn, Yesterday, Today, Forever. And I'll just read the first verse and the chorus of that. But it says, Oh, how sweet the glorious message simple faith may claim. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. And I think many times we can lose the wonder of that. The fact that Jesus never changes, that God never changes. It is truly a glorious message. Still he loves to save the sinful, heal the sick and lame, cheer the mourner, still the tempest, glory to his name. Yesterday, today, forever, Jesus is the same. All may change, but Jesus never. Glory to his name. Glory to his name, glory to his name. All may change, but Jesus never glory to his name all may change but praise god he never will that is really 
That is really the, the heartbeat of this, the last part of this psalm. And firstly, tonight, I want to focus on God's jealousy for you. God's jealous for you. Look at verse 58 again. For they provoked him to anger with their high places and moved him to jealousy with their graven images. While jealousy we can think of in a negative sense in today's world, you know, uh, you shouldn't be jealous of so-and-so. God's jealousy is a righteous jealousy, which means he will always choose to do right. And, and, and he is jealous in love for you. He is jealous because he wants to so have a loving, personal relationship with you, fellowship with you as a believer, that, that, that us being off, be, being in wickedness or making sinful choices, uh, us missing out on fellowship with God because of our sinful choices moves God to jealousy for us. And that's always a good thing. God, in this, in this passage right here, as we started in verse 55, God had taken the heathen from before them. He had given them an inheritance. He had, he had given each tribe th- their inheritance. Yet, despite all that God had done, they tempted and provoked him. They, they turned away from him. They, they started serving other gods Verse 57 gives us a picture of their unfaithfulness and of their turning back like their fathers. The end of verse 57 says that they were turned aside like a deceitful bow. Meaning, like a bow, though it can be, it can be pointed in the right direction, it can be pulled back with the right amount of strength, but it... it the, it, because it's deceitful, it doesn't shoot true. It can, it, can be, it can be the right person holding the bow, pointing it in the right direction, just like God, being the one true God, was pointing Israel in the right direction. He had all the, the grace necessary for them to live in fellowship with him, but because of their own sinful choices, they kept missing the mark. They kept shooting wide of the target of fellowship with God. Israel had chosen at times, as verse 58 records, to worship other gods. And though the one true God had faithfully provided for them because of their wickedness and serving other gods, they were not in the will of God. They They missed out. And that moved God to jealousy. That moved him Praise the Lord. I'm glad that God is jealous for me. I I am glad that God is jealous for you tonight. Uh, God wants to draw me near when I am away from him. All throughout scripture this is laid out, and I'll read a few verses for you right now about God's jealousy, but it's laid out all throughout the Old Testament, really. Exodus chapter 20, the giving of the law, the giving of those ten commandments to the children of Israel God tells them, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me. Not only is God a jealous God, but his name, 
he, he calls himself jealous. He, he has a name, and, and that name is laid out in Exodus 34, verse 14. For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Now you know that the Lord has many names. Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You can add one to him. It's not something that I, hang, I hung on my Christmas tree this last uh, Christmas, because that's not normally the ones that we, fo- this is not normally one of his names that we focus on. But it says it right there in Exodus 34. His, whose name is Jealous. God is jealous for us, and his righteous dealings are shown through the fact that he jealously loves us. Deuteronomy 4, verse, 20, verse 24, For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. He, he loves you so much that he wants to consume the sin in your life so that he can draw near to you. That's how, that's how much God is jealous for you. And those are only a few passages. If you go through the book of Deuteronomy, especially, the Bible lays out in several chapters that God is jealous for us. If you go into the book of Joshua, it's the same. All the way through, even the second verse of the book of Nahum tells us that God is jealous for us. God is jealous for his creation because he not only created you, but he bought you with his blood. He, he wants each and every one of us to be in a, in a true relationship with him. But when Israel rejected the jealousy of God, when they stiff-armed the jealous, loving hand of God, they could then only experience his wrath. And that's the second thing that's pointed out in this passage. Look at verse 59 with me as we look secondly at God's wrath. When God heard this, He was wroth and greatly abhorred Israel, so that he forsook the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent which he placed among men, and delivered his strength into captivity and his glory into the enemy's hand. He gave his people over also unto the sword and was wroth with his inheritance. The fire consumed their young men, and their maidens were not given to marriage." Their priests fell by the sword, and their widows made no lamentation. What an ugly sight. When you reject the jealousy of God, you experience the wrath of God in one way or another. For believers, it's different, and I'll get to that in just a minute. We do we do experience a lack of fellowship with God, but we don't face the eternal wrath of God that we were saved from. I'll get to that again in just a moment. But Asaph here, as he begins this next section, really on this next characteristic of God, that because of Israel's free choice in, 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 their, in their relationship towards God, they, they chose not to experience the loving hand, the jealous hand of God in their life that was trying to draw them back to him. And because of that, they experience this other never-changing characteristic of God, his wrath. Notice how he begins verse 59. He says, when God heard this, it's not that God had never known this before, but it is a, it's, a, it's a poetic hinge point, I, I, I like to put it, 
Not that God was unaware of anything, but because of man's decision to rebel, this is what happened. It's almost like when your mom or dad heard that you were disobeying, you were no longer in a loving fellowship at that moment. There was going to be discipline, or there was going to be something taken away, or there was going to be, there was going to be some consequence. You were going to experience the wrath of mom and dad. And very much so, not in an evil sense at all. Even God's wrath is love. Even when God, when God is show, showing his wrath towards the people of Israel, he's still, uh, he, he's never changing in the fact that he wants to draw them back to himself. But look at these words, wrath. That Bible word means very angry much exasperated. And I don't think we even have the English words today to truly express the wrath of God. The, the fact that God was absolutely disgusted and angry with his people not, not responding to his grace and mercy. That word that he uses at the end of verse 59, abhorred, if you look that up, you'll find that it means hated extremely, detested, as Webster, as Webster says it. And, and because of that, God is, God is saying, I, I, I am, I, in, the, in the best possible way, I, I absolutely am disgusted with how you're acting. I hate your sin. He doesn't hate the people of Israel, as we'll find out. He's faithful to them. He's faithful to his promises. But he hates extremely what Israel has done in turning to other gods. And let me tell you tonight, when we in our own life as believers turn to other gods, turn to other forms of, of uh, uh, to, to other things that, that we place as number one in our life, God abhors it. God hates it extremely. In fact, he hated it so much that in verses 60 through 64, Asaph recounts the time when God left the people of Israel and he sent them into captivity. When we went through the books of 1 and 2 Samuel, this is a recounting of 1 Samuel chapter 4 about how he left the tabernacle in Shiloh, how there, were, there was a slaughtering of the priests and that young man came back and told Eli about what had done, uh, about what had happened, and, and, and this lamentation that was not made. All of that is, is found in 1 Samuel chapter 4, if you, want, if you go back there and, and read that. But today, if we're applying this right here, right now, to 21st century Christians, what we can take away from this today is both on... We can apply it to the unbeliever that is not saved and the believer that is saved. For the unbeliever who does not hear the jealous calls of the Savior to come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, if they reject the jealous hand, the jealous love of God in their life to come and, and be saved, they will experience God's wrath. If you reject God's jealousy, you will experience his wrath. As a believer who has believed on Jesus Christ for your salvation, praise God, you will never face the eternal wrath of God. 
you will never face the flames of hell. You will never face eternal separation from his presence. But right now, if we make sinful choices, it hurts our fellowship with God. Let me explain that in in two separate ways here. Your relationship, your relation to God, now that you are a believer, will never change. You are always a son or daughter of the king. You can never lose that. But you can lose out on fellowship that he desires to have with you right now. The best way I know how to explain that is if me as a son, if I was uh, just ex- just giving a, a hypothetical example, but as a son, if I stole $20, $30 from my dad, there would I would not lose my relation to my father. I am still his son. No one can take that from me. Not even if I was tried to be disowned. No one can take that relation. But my fellowship is immediately hindered. I would crouch every time I heard his voice. Or I, I would be fearful every time that I saw him coming because I think he would find out or, or whatnot. And even though that's not the, not the case, it's, it's the same way with God our Father. When we are not in right fellowship with God, we are afraid of him. Go right back to the Garden of Eden. That's exactly what happened. They knew they had sinned, and what was their immediate response? Run. (laughs) Run. Hide. It hurts our fellowship with God. It didn't hurt their relationship with God at all. God still loved them. God still wanted to be with them. They were still still in, in that relation to God as his creation, but it hurt the the fellowship, and it will hurt your fellowship. If God is dealing in your life about something specific and you're stiff-arming him, it's going to hurt the fellowship that he has right now, though it won't hurt your eternal destiny. God right now is both, he is jealous for a fellowship relationship with you right now. He wants that. He is his relation, your relationship to him as his child is, is eternal and unchanging. But tonight, God wants you not to live separated from him in the sense of fellowship. All because God desires, uh, God desires that, that type of relationship so much for us. And that leads us really to his, the third point there that's laid out in this passage is God's pursuing presence. His jealousy, his wrath, and his pursuing presence. Even in the middle of his wrath. Verse 65. Then the Lord. I love it because you go back and you read through this entire psalm sometime and you'll see how much It goes back and forth between Israel walked away or they turned their back on God, yet God. Yet God did this. Despite Israel, God did this. Then the Lord, verse 65, awakened as one out of sleep and like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine, and he smote his enemies in the hinder parts. He put them to a perpetual reproach. Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount, the Mount Zion, which he loved, 
and he built his sanctuary like high places, like the earth, which he hath established forever. He chose David also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. From following the ewes, great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his, his people, and Israel his inheritance. So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart, and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. The end of this psalm does not leave us without hope. That's the, that's, the, that's the greatness about this. It leaves us with an amazing promise. The promise that God's enemies will be destroyed and that he will be faithful to his promises, specifically as he's speaking to them, fulfilling the promises that he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You say, what does that mean for me? Because we're not, we're not Israel today. We're God's, we're, we're, we're the church. We're not Israel. The beauty of it is today for us, God's character doesn't change. And even though we may be unfaithful sometimes, we sin, we need to get right with God. That's that whole matter of revival that Aaron even just talked about in his letter. That God is jealous. He's wanting us to come back to him, to be in right fellowship with him. Though we're not Israel, God has given us a multitude of promises that he will remain in, in, in his word right here, that he will doubtless keep, even if we are rebellious towards him. We may experience God's correcting hand at times and him pursuing us when we get off. And those are sometimes those dry times in our life where we're seeking for God and, and, and that comes because we're, maybe we're off or we're not fellowshipping with God. God is drawing us back to himself, but he will always remain faithful to us. In the New Testament, there is a verse that I believe very well sums up this entire chapter of Psalm 78. Turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And I like to call this, this is just just my own opinion, but I like to call this the Psalm 78 of the New Testament. Romans chapter 5. If you could sum it up all in one verse, I believe this is what you would get. Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that, read the rest with me, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I think that sums up the entire chapter of Psalm 78. While we were yet rebellious, he came. While we were yet sinners, he died. And that is exactly what God is showing to us tonight. While we were chasing after idols, God was looking for, uh, and we were looking for anything that would satisfy us in our life, God was perfectly pursuing us with his presence. And you, if you're a believer here tonight, you know that. You know that experientially because Christ did it for you. And, and, and he showed you that true satisfaction was found only in him. And we, you can praise the Lord for that tonight. I want us, as we, as we close, that we would tonight 
revel in these truths. Revel in the fact that you have a jealous God. Do not reject his jealous hand and be desperate for his presence in your life. There is, there is a, a life that we can live without God's presence. Samson tried that for a little bit, and that did not go well for him. In fact, we can get to the point like Samson did, where we don't even know that God's presence is gone. May we tonight be desperate for God's presence on our life, that we would forsake anything that God, if God's putting his hand on something in your life, saying, hey, that's killing you. That's going to that's gonna breed death in your life. Get rid of it. It's not worth not having God's presence. And God's righteous dealing with you is going to draw you closer and closer to himself. Let's pray.